The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello and welcome to another edition of Setting the Record Straight. My name is Russell Trewick. Uh, I am pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Alvin, Texas, and I will be your host for this episode. Now what I'm about to share with you is not necessarily my own material. It is an adaptation of R.J. Rushdoony's The Institutes of Biblical Law, Volume 1, and the first part of the, uh, of the Fourth Commandment. And so, as I, as we look at this, let us be reminded, um, the reason why I'm doing this is kind of an intro into the next podcast I'll be doing um, toward the end of the month, and we'll be discussing the Hebrew Roots Movement, and we'll be discussing a rebuttal to that uh, using both this and uh, this, this specific podcast but also using Joel McDermott's book, The uh, uh, the Bounds of Love, and, and so on. So let's get started. The fourth commandment is one of freedom and not slavery. Yes, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, says, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the foreigner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath law is important in terms of prophetic significance and legal status. Klein in the Treaty of the Great King wrote, Most significant of the variations of from the form of the Decalogue as presented in Exodus 20 verses 2 through 17 is the new formulation of the fourth word. The sabbatic cycle of covenant life symbolizes the consummation principle characteristic of divine action. God works, God works, accomplishes his purpose, and rejoicing rests. Exodus 20 verse 11 refers to the exhibition of the consummation pattern in creation for the original model of the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 5.15 refers to its manifestation and redemption where the divine triumph is such to bring God's elect to the rest also. Most appropriately, therefore, was the Sabbath appointed as a sign of God's covenant with the people. Uh, with the people, uh, He redeemed from the bondage of Egypt to inherit the rest of Canaan cross-reference in Exodus 31, 13 through 17. And in keeping with the Deuteronomic interpretation of the Sabbath in terms of the progress of God's redemptive purpose is the New Testament's orientation of the Sabbath to the Savior's resurrection triumph by which His redeemed people attain with Him unto eternal rest. You see, the pattern of the Sabbath is God's creation rest. The goal of the Sabbath is man's redemptive rest. R.J. Rushdeny wrote, There is no record or evidence for the Sabbath prior to Exodus. The word remember in the commandment 
harks back to the creation and does not recall a past observance, but commands the people to remember the Sabbath thereafter. A weekly day of rest is unknown to other cultures. Only where biblical faith and culture have brought it about does it exist to this day. In some of the cultures of the ancient world, an occasional day of rest marked a celebration of the divine human king's birthday. But the biblical concept of a redemptive rest, redemption rest, as a goal of history, i.e. a perfect order in which work is totally blessed, and the order is entirely of God's making, is unknown outside of biblical faith. You see, Isaiah 57, verses 20 through 21 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Rushdie went on to say, The world of the unregenerate is in perpetual search of the Sabbath, of the glorious rest of creation. But its self-defeating quest leads only to greater disturbances. It casts up mire and dirt. The Sabbath is not an infringement on man's liberty, but rather the liberation of man. You see, the Sabbath asserts the principle of freedom under God. Summoning man to obedience to the ordinance of rest in order to be to free man from himself and from his work. Second Thessalonians 3 Verses 10 says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him eat. Folks, there's nothing wrong with work. In fact, it's commanded that we work. It's necessary that we work. But we must also understand that we need rest from that work, freedom from that work. I'm reminded in Mark 2, verses 23 to 28. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And one of the Pharisees were, and the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now there's a lot I'll tie in. I've tied into another sermon on this. But remember that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and this is actually one of those covenantal changes that needs to be understood. Rushdie went on to say the essence of humanism is its belief in the plenary, uh, plenary ability of man. Man is able, it is held, to save himself, to guide his own evolution and that of society. To control himself, his world, the weather, and all things else. When man controls and reorders all things, then man will have recreated the world into a paradise. Whether Marxist, Fabian, or Democratic, this is the dream of humanism. Joseph Piper uh, wrote, The proletarian is the man who is fettered to the process of work. Stalin, in uh, be quoted by Finsky Vesnik 
says, if God exists, he must have ordained slavery, feudalism, and capitalism. He must want humanity to suffer, as the monks were always telling me. Then there would be no hope for the toiling masses to free themselves from their oppressors. But when I heard that there is no God, I knew that humanity could fight its way to freedom. You see the error? See the error of those thinkings? See, Rushdie went on to say, If there's no God, as Stalin held, there, there's no divine providence. A man must work to become his own providence. The total government of God would have to be replaced by the total government of man. This means tremendous work and sacrifice. The end result would be the liberated and ideal man. Francis B. Randall in Stalin's Russia wrote, Each man, Stalin predicted, would be developed under socialism to a point at which he and all his fellows would surpass the giants of the pre-socialist past, such as Michelangelo and Goethe. Yet nothing sounds less like Michelangelo or Goethe than these hints of Stalin's uh, about the ideal future and condition of man. The men of the future were, in fact, intended by Stalin to resemble the new Soviet men of his day, hard-working, utterly devoted, utterly self-effacing, Utterly significant workers and other heroes. The world has to be transformed into what the communist ideology of Stalin's day said it ought to be. And that was essentially Stalin's Russia, writ large, spread over the whole world, made prosperous at last, and rid of all save those who obeyed voluntarily and perfectly the perfect laws of communism. Russian, he said, Stalin, in the course of this quest for true Sabbath, man's true rest, did two things. First, he enslaved more men than any other tyrant in all history. And second, he had more men killed than any other man in all history. Man's attempt to enter heaven on his own terms places himself, in, himself instead in hell. See, the spe- specific form of the Sabbath observance changed radically in terms of the new covenant in Christ. This is where we need to understand this morning the change. First, the Sabbath in the Old Testament law was not primarily a day of worship, but a day of rest. And I'm going to reiterate this again. Say it here. Listen carefully. The Sabbath in the Old Testament law was not primarily a day of worship, but a day of rest. First, uh, Rushdie says the pattern of weekly worship didn't exist in the Old Testament law. The synagogue introduced it into the, in the intertestamental period, and the New Testament clearly practiced it and urged it. Hebrews 10, we're reminded in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting meat to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, Rush Jr. tells us that the Old Testament... In the Old Testament, the worship was family-centered and woven into the fabric of daily life. It should still be so embedded in the common life of man. But there's now also the duty of corporate worship. This corporate worship cannot, however, be confused and equated with rest. Although the two are closely associated, rest has reference here to the sociological reality uh, to the fact of the redemption, liberation, and wholeness of life. Rest here means confidence in God's work so that we cease from our own labors and our symbolic representation of our total confidence in God's accomplishment. 
The manna in the wilderness set forth God's rest and the order to observe the Sabbath with confidence in the sufficiency of manna reinforces fact and of God's provision. When such a God works, man can and must rest. Secondly, as part of the Sabbath observance changing radically, is second, severe laws enforce the Sabbath rest, not worship. You see, let me go through a couple of things here. The general law was that no work should be done on the Sabbath. Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11 and so on. The gates should be shut. If you want the scripture references, I'll share these with you. Uh, we were told, they were told, Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. It says, Asses should not be laden, nor burdens borne, nor fires kindled, nor sheaves brought, nor sticks gathered, nor victuals or wares bought or sold, nor wine treaded in the press. Life, however, life, however, could be saved on the Sabbath, since redemption is the essence of the Sabbath. This mean this can mean healing the sick, or rescuing an animal that has fallen into a pit. Since hunger alleviated is a part of redemption, it is proper for one who is hungry to pluck and eat corn on the Sabbath. And the same is true of thirst, so that a thirsty animal can be taken to water in fulfillment of the Sabbath. Since redemption means defeating God's enemies, the Maccabees finally came to the logical conclusion that it was in conformity with the Sabbath to resist attacks by the enemies. Thirdly, there is... No keeping of the Sabbath penalties in the church after after the resurrection. Rashi said because the early disciples and members were Jews, they continued for a time to observe the Old Testament Sabbath. But the Christian day of worship was the first day of the week. The day of resurrection as well as Pentecost. See, many Reformed churchmen seem to assume that the one law of Scripture is Sabbath observance. We're reminded in Romans 15, 14, verses 5 through 9, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. We need to be very uh, mindful of what that means. There's no one day over the other. But the Lord is both of each day. He's the Lord of both days. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17 says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Fourth, not only has the legal status of the law changed when there's no more severe laws and death penalties, and the, but the day of rest has been changed from the Hebrew Sabbath to the Christian day of resurrection. It has changed from the Hebrew Sabbath to the Christian day of resurrection. 
we find in the Institutes that the Deuteronomic Law made clear that the Hebrew Sabbath celebrated the deliverance from Egypt and then remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord thy God brought thee out of thence through a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy 5.15 The Hebrew redemption was thus celebrated in the Sabbath. The Christian Sabbath commemorates Christ's triumph over sin and death, and hence it is celebrated on the day of resurrection, the first day of the week. To reject this day is to reject Christ's redemption, and to seek salvation by another inadmissible way. Fifthly, the Hebrew Sabbath and the modern Saturday cannot be equated. Well, why? Rushton wrote, The calendar of Israel at Sinai was a solar calendar, and it's not to be confused with the modern Jewish solar lunar calendar of AD 359. Curtis Clare Ewing, in Israel's calendar and the true Sabbath, wrote, These are the three Sabbaths spoken of in Scripture, the creation Sabbath, the Hebrew Sabbath, which commemorated the deliverance from Egypt, and the Christian Sabbath, which is kept in commemoration of Christ's finished resurrection, is the only Sabbath that remains. In fact, it were pointed out in Exodus 20, verses 8-11, it says, Remember the Sabbath day. And then when we come to Deuteronomy 5, it says, Observe, or keep the Sabbath day. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God, it says in verse 15, uh, brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Yes, you are to both remember, now you not only remember, but we are to keep it. Rostini said the Hebrew calendar began its dating from the deliverance from Egypt. As Ewing points out, the Hebrews retained the Egyptian calendar of 12 months of 30 days, but instead of adding the five supplementary days at the end of the year, they added three at the end of the sixth month and two at the end of the twelfth month. The 15th day of Abib, the first month, had to be a Sabbath every year which meant that the 1st and 8th of Abib were fixed Sabbaths, as were the seven Sabbaths following the 5th of Abib. The 50th day would be the Pentecost. Now the Sabbath of Abib, of Abib 15th would be, uh, be fixed by date. It follows that these seven successive Sabbaths also, also have been on fixed dates and would have fall as follows, Abib 22, 29, IR 6, 13, 20, 27, and Savan 4. By no possibility can there be seven Sabbaths complete from Abib 15 to Savan 4th until those Sabbaths came on fixed dates, unless those Sabbaths came on fixed dates of the month every year. Since the day of the month was constant, the day of the week was variable. This means that once in seven years, each of them would fall on every single day of the week, just as your birthday comes on a different day of the week every year. Attempts to treat Saturdays as a true Sabbath, apart from being non-Christian, are also non-biblical and the radical variants from the Sabbath of Israel. Sixth, the Sabbath is the day of rest, is the day of redemption, and day of liberation. Leviticus 25 tells us in verses 8 through 10, You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return his prop- to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. 
And final, regarding this Sabbath, the fourth commandment, Rushdie wrote, but the security and rest of slavery could could constitute a pseudo arrest. Slavery could be involuntary as a punishment. A thief who did not make restitution was sold as a slave. A man could also be sold for debt. As Clark noticed, the servitude ceased when labor had been performed equivalent to the amount which would have been required required to make restitution. And this, it is, it is thought to have been limited to six years. A man could renounce his liberty and make himself a slave. He was then set free on the Sabbath year. He, he chose the security of slavery. His ear was pierced to indicate that he was now like a woman, permanently in subjection, and remained a slave. Since unbelievers are by nature slaves, they could be held as lifelong slaves without this formality. The slave could be flogged by the master, but if maimed abusive treat by abusive treatment, the slave, domestic or foreign, went free. They were to be circumcised and could eat holy things. A slave had some rights and position in a home. He could share in the inheritance. He was entitled to the rest on the Sabbath, as the fourth commandment makes clear. Since the slave was, except where debt and theft were concerned, a slave by nature and by choice, a fugitive slave went free, and the return of such fugitives was forbidden. Christians cannot become slaves voluntarily. They are not to become the slaves of men, as 1 Corinthians 7.23, nor entangled again with the yoke of bondage, Galatians 5.1. The road of pseudo-security or of pseudo-liberation in slavery, socialism, welfareism is forbidden to the Christian. The Christian Sabbath is not the slavery of socialism. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.